Ryan Tootin. Uh, Tamari, yeah, welcome to First Up. It's Rahina. That's Monday, the 23rd of January. Ko Nathan Rarari Aho. Coming up today, incoming Prime Minister Chris Hipkins says that he'll be reining in non essential government programs. So, what's Chippy going to chop? We'll have the analysis from former Labour Chief Whip Sue Maroney. Te Pāti Māori co-leader Debbie Ngārewa Packer discusses what this leadership means for Māori. And we take a look at Carmel Sepuloni, the first person of Pacifica heritage to become the Deputy Prime Minister. It is very hard to fathom that a working class girl from Waitara who turned Westie can become the Deputy Prime Minister of New Zealand. And now I get to back up the boy from the hut. to everybody. It's lovely to be back in your ears. On first up, I, I trust that you, I, I imagine all of you have been like, where the hell have you been? We've been back at work for ages. Um, just had to rest my brain is what I had to do, but it's good to be here with you. We have um, a, an action-packed and exciting show for you. Uh, this morning though, we start with some sad news. Uh, we're going to expand on the story you would have heard there in the, in the news. We go to the United States where at least 10 people are dead in a mass shooting in California. With me now from the US is our correspondent Catherine Firkin. Uh, Catherine, thank you very much for being here with us, Morena. What what do we know about this shooting? Yeah, good morning, Nathan. What awful news to wake up to yet again. You know, another mass shooting in America. This time it's occurred uh, during Lunar New Year parties at a ballroom dance studio in Monterey Park, California. As you mentioned, 10 people have been killed. We also know that at least another 10 more have been injured during what's been described as a massacre. Now, as of this morning, investigators are seriously looking into the motivation for this attack. One of the big questions, of course, is whether it's actually connected to the Lunar New Year celebrations and whether the Asian-American community was deliberately targeted on the basis of race. The area where it occurred, Monterey Park, uh, is predominantly an Asian community. And just outside the dance studio where this happened, a huge outdoors Lunar New Year festival was taking place. It's a gathering that typically attracts thousands of people. So that is a key question now for investigators. As of this morning, we're also hearing Democrats immediately call for tighter gun laws. Investigators, though, are really focused on trying to find the perpetrator. Right now, the gunman is still at large. So far... The only description we've had, Nathan, is that he is a man. They have no other description of the shooter. They don't even have the details of the weapon that was used. Wow, that's that's um, less chance of a needle in a haystack if that's all they've got in Los Angeles. Um, that's terrible, terrible news. And hopefully more can be put together to, to find this perpetrator. Um, let's talk about this too. Something interesting that's been going on, the investigation of documents. Now, we found out about Donald Trump last year stashing some things. More classified documents have been found at President Biden's home in Delaware. So how serious is this latest find? Well, it certainly is serious, certainly as far as, you know, eroding confidence in in the presidency. Uh, Officials from the Justice Department have seized six further classified documents from the Delaware home of President Joe Biden, and that's nine days after his press secretary suggested that searches were over and that no additional documents would be found. Now, these latest findings came after a a 13-hour search of the president's home while he and the First Lady were away for the weekend. And all up, it means that about, I think, more than a dozen classified documents have now been found at Biden's home, plus there were additional classified documents found at his private office uh, at the Penn Biden Centre, and that was in November. 
Of course, the Democrats are quick to try and dismiss the similarities between these incidents and the classified documents that were found by the FBI at former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. But whatever's going on here, it is such a bad look for Biden and his party. We've got new polling out this morning that shows most Americans believe both Biden and Trump have inappropriately handled classified documents. And as I mentioned at the start, this really goes to erode the trust in the presidency here at a time when the United States is already so divided. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I wonder if any of them have uh, not taken anything by the sounds of it now. Uh, also, too, this was a, a story that appeared. Alex, uh, Alec Baldwin, sorry. Um, he's says that he's going to finish the production of the Western film Rust, but that's despite facing manslaughter charges. Yeah, it's an interesting move and an interesting decision. We're hearing this morning that despite those really serious charges for the death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the set of Rust, he does intend on finishing production of the Western movie. Baldwin hasn't spoken publicly since learning of the charges he's facing, which are all up could actually lead to five years behind bars. But we have already heard his lawyers come out immediately. They've stressed they will fight the charges and they expect to win. And we had already previously heard Baldwin say how much this film meant to him, that he had actually reignited his passion for movie making and that he really thought the cast and crew were onto something special. But all of that could still be complicated by this criminal trial that is now looming large. It's going to be extremely interesting, Nathan, because there are no obvious precedents for this case. So it's incredibly difficult to guess how it's going to play out. What we do know is that prosecutors will have to overcome some pretty significant challenges to their case. Probably the biggest one is that they haven't been able to identify how those live rounds of ammunition got onto the set in the first place. That's a big question mark. But they have said they believe that Baldwin and the film's armourer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, were responsible for checking the safety of the prop gun. But, of course, being a criminal trial, they will have to convince all 12 jurors to find guilt beyond reasonable doubt. So it's very interesting and we just don't know how this is going to play out as yet. Yeah. Catherine, thank you so much for your time this year's Catherine Furkin, our correspondent from the United States. It is just about 11 past five. You're listening to First Up here on RNZ National. I'm Nathan Rarity. I was just thinking there about uh, President Biden and President Trump and things they'd found at their homes so 2101, have you ever taken stuff from work? And what did you take home? Is there a stapler at your house that might, you know, maybe have gone from somewhere? It's okay, we can front up now. Um, when I very first started radio, an old announcer said to me, you know what you need to take? Take some letterhead, and then you can just write your own reference. <laughs> I didn't do that. But anyway, that's what he did. Uh, 2101, or you can tweet us first up, rnz. You know, look, don't worry, I'm not going to... Um, Dob again anywhere. We can email us first up at rnz.co.nz. I'm just interested. What makes its way home? Is there a spoon perhaps that might have come home? I know a lot of people leave their plates at work here. Goodness me. Um, anyway, let's go to Europe now. And I'm joined by our correspondent. It's Nita Blake Person in Germany. Kia ora, Nita. How are you? Kia ora, Nathan. I'm really well. How are you? Good, thank you. Good to hear your voice. Uh, let's go. A new year, but Germany still still isn't sure about how involved it wants to get in Ukraine's military supplies. So can we expect to see any change on that front? Is there any sort of indication of that? 
Well, it won't be happening quickly if it does. Yeah, it's it's a new year, but Volodymyr Zelensky's message really very much the same here, that Ukraine needs weapons and it needs them now. Well, you know, really, by him, it needs them yesterday. And that plea has become very directed at Germany specifically in recent days. There's been a big conference among Ukraine's allies about what support they can and should be providing. And what Ukraine really wants are these tanks called the Leopard 2. They're powerful and modern and Ukraine thinks they could really be a game changer in pushing back Russian forces but Germany has been very reluctant on this front so far it's you know extremely wary of drawing NATO into this conflict and because of its uh, role in the end of well in World War II it's had a staunch position of peace since the end of that conflict it really doesn't want to be seen as an aggressor in this war and that wariness isn't you know just Germany's parliament. It's the German public too. There was a poll out this week that showed 46% of people do support sending tanks to Ukraine, but the very same percentage are opposed. So people are very nervous about this conflict escalating. And there's there's grounds there. Moscow is warning that there will be a global catastrophe if these powerful weapons are given to Kiev. So it's, it's no small decision, but Germany is being urged to hurry up by Ukraine and the various other European nations as they're warning that Russia's plan a big spring offensive in the coming months and they say those tanks are going to be essential in defending Ukraine if that does happen. Mm. It's a shame, isn't it? There's weariness going on in one country and other people terrified for their lives in the other, which is, uh, that's a shame to see that. We'll we'll stick in Germany, where I think uh, organic farming was invented, actually. I think it's right. Uh, Germany's farmers are going organic, uh, but there's still some some struggles with the switch. What's the problem with the switch? Well, basically it comes down to cost, as it does so often with these things. Farmers are feeling the squeeze, like so many businesses and households at the moment, and they say, we need support. And it's um, kind of coming at a time where Germany is trying to become more green. It's got these plans to make its agriculture uh, convert to one third of all farms being organic by 2030. But making that switch comes with increased costs. So, you know, in classic farming protest style, um, they many farmers descended on Berlin this weekend with their tractors. They uh, rolled up to the gates of Brandenburg Gate, um, you know, thousands of protesters with a bunch of uh, tractors uh, among them, and they said, we need more help. That fuel and electricity have gone up massively and demand for organic products has gone down as people are, um, you know, bit more wary at the checkouts they're feeling the the pinch so not everyone had the same demands at this protest yesterday uh some farmers were calling for a more just a more socially just switch to this push for organic specifically they don't want taxes on fruit and veggies and just need a bit more financial assistance others though say these environmental regulations they got to go. It's too much. They should be scrapped. And it is a big change for uh, Germany's agriculture sector. There are currently over 250,000 farms across the country, but that number is falling steadily. They um, estimate around six farms closed down in Germany on average every day at the moment, mainly because of those rising production costs. Mm, it'll be interesting to know what they do with the land. Uh, what about, let's go to the, the Netherlands. And, and this is an interesting one. Tell us about the ban on unhealthy designer dogs, they say. Which ones, what are they talking about here? How, how are they going to ban unhealthy designer dogs? Well, we don't have the, the exact final list just yet, but you know the, the wee ones with their squish snouts, you, you're typically your pugs and your French dogs, they're the ones they seem to be trying to avoid here. I guess... Well, a lot of people do. They find them very cute. 
But those wee puppies, they're often having a pretty terrible time, aren't they, with their, their snuffly breathing and other issues? And that is what the Dutch government wants to avoid. They say these animals look sweet, but they are having miserable health problems. So they've announced plans to outright ban the ownership of these designer breeds. And they're actually even going so far to, to ban photos of them in advertising and social media to try and dissuade, I guess, the look that people are going for. So it's not just dogs. They're looking at cat breeds too, specifically those ones with the, the wee folded ears. Uh, and it's the agriculture minister leading the charge on this one. He says the owners often have the best of intentions, but they're unaware of the dark side of their pet's appearance. And the, the Netherlands actually already has laws stopping the breeding of these pets, you know, when it comes to their appearance. But they're still being brought in from elsewhere or trade illegally. So this law aims to shut that down, close that loophole with an outright ban. Um, there will be a transition time for people who already have the pets with, you know, the, the banned features. They'll be allowed to keep them until the end of their life. But in the future, the aim here, you'll have no more squished-faced pugs in the Netherlands. Oh, and... Uh, Nita, thank you very much for your time. Nita, Blake Person there who, who joined us from Germany. Yes, it was uh, the Persians, wasn't it? Uh, Katrina was just saying to my mate here before. That's right. I think here in New Zealand as well, the poor things, they get little squishy things and they get quite a bit of conjunctivitis. It's uh, 18 past five. Well, uh, I'm Nathan Radity. You are listening to First Up here at RNZ National. Uh, coming up, Labor's former Chief Whip, Sue Maroney, uh, tells us about Chris Hipkins, or Chippy, as he's known, our new Prime Minister. And is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's the Superman of fruit and veg. Yes, he's back, folks. Well, they are standing in the rear. Big ones, small ones, some Yes, uh, the incoming Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, uh, has uh, confirmed there will be a reshuffle in his cabinet. However, here at First Up, uh, we present a strong united front and uh, Giles, still Chancellor of the Business Desk, and the Minister of Fruit and Veggies uh, remains in the administration. It's Glenn Forsyth. Morena Glenn, happy Chinese New Year. Kung hei fat choi. Yeah, thank you, sir. Yeah, glad not to be kicked out. Happy Chinese New Year, Nate. Um, are you turning 36 this year? Just wondering if you're a rabbit. Uh, I am. I'm a rat. You're a rat? Oh, good man. Yeah, no, good no, man. I wish I was turning 36, but, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, so strange. Yeah, sorry. I was just just thinking around this year with, with lots of the Chinese New Year um, celebrations going on um, and, and, you know, the, the love of fresh produce and, and things that they make for the meals. Is, is this a bit of a bonanza week as far as uh, produce sales go? Oh, heck yes. Last week was busy for sales with Chinese New Year and, and fruit is very popular. They love their fresh fruit. Oranges and pomelos, they're common gifts because they're believed to bring good luck and happiness. And the gold colour also symbolises prosperity. And thankfully, it's the Californian citrus season this time of year. So this is where we lean on for these lines. Other fruits sought after for celebrations are grapes. And we have picture-perfect Peru red and green seedless ones here, plus pineapples, pomegranates and apples. Although don't go crazy on apples, plenty of time for these. And our new season ones haven't even hit first gear yet. 
some nice Australian lychees available as well to complete your gift boxes. And oh my gosh, cherries, what a treat this year. Plenty around and so lucky. No bad weather event in Central, clean them up. So with, you know, with the earlier Chinese New Year this year and demand um, go quieter now for our cherries and Chinese in Taiwan, for example, there will be plenty for us in the next few weeks, Nate, get into cherries. Beautiful. Let's let's get into uh, vegetables because we haven't talked in a month. Uh, what, what's happening in the, the veggie aisle right now? Yeah, now as the country starts to dry out, we have some winners this week for sure on vegetables. Some of our best on-point feedback comes from Deepak Lala, Produce Manager at Pack and Save Kilburnie, family friend for decades. And the thing I love about Deepak Bay is he runs his produce department how he used to run his Cuba Mall fruit store. Highest quality, biggest gear and best prices. His customers are number one. So we were seeing the same things in the Auckland and Wellington markets this morning and, you know, chatting away that sweet corn finally is here, baby. Thank you to, you know, to the far north, Hawke's Bay and Gisborne. If you shop around, you'll pick it up for a dollar a cob. To complement that beautiful yellow colour on your plate with some striking green courgettes, they're the go this week too, backed up by New Zealand round beans. Mushrooms seem short and tomatoes, they're selling to a very, very high demand. Cabbage price is back, but no one wants that now. Collie and broccoli, they're shortish. And however, lettuce is plentiful, along with celery, spinach and spring onions. New season potatoes, onions, red onions, pumpkin and buttercup, they've all started and thankfully bringing us kinder prices as well post-Christmas. If anyone got an air fryer for Christmas, try doing your roast veggies in there. They, they're outstanding. It's a great way to do them. And now, as you know, Super. I always go, Glenn, when's the stone fruit though? And and uh, it's it's we're here, aren't we? This is the golden time. Stone fruit, watermelon, just raining out of the sky. Oh, we were. It, it was tough to get excited about stone fruit in December. Prices were high, quality yeah. was average, and Mother Nature just wasn't playing ball. But that was so last year. Summer fruit and watermelon, they're pouring in, as you say. Glenis Lou and Mount Eden, she ranks them in popularity at her store. Nectarines first, then apricots, peaches, plums. Plums are mostly red, yellow flesh varieties, so all these... You know, all those delectable dark flesh ones, they're yet to come. Apricots are short but improving slowly out of the deep south. However, the talk of the town are the honey series and the peach and the nectarine range. So the honey nectarine, for example, they're sweeter, not tangy like the classic series and worth buying a kilo or four of those this week. Avocados, they're at their peak with that full butter maturity. New season figs and passion fruit have begun and we're only halfway through on our berry season too, so no panic there. Now, GNT lovers, they must loathe our summer because, uh, you know, in the sense lemons are so short. Currently, we're air freighting them from America and selling retail of upwards of $15 a kilo. So, you know, as a trade-off, you could probably buy two or three whole watermelon for the same price as what a kilo of lemons will set you back for. So, yep, some good choices in fruit. That's right, and poke a little hole in the watermelon and then just pour your gin into it, and then you can take it into sports <laughs> events. Thank you very much, Glenn. Don't encourage people to do that. Goodness me. Glenn Forsyth, the Minister of Fruit and Veggies. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Let me tell you all about the 23rd of January. Not all about it, but some uh, some of my favourite parts. Uh, and there was a lot to have a look at today, but uh, celebrity birthday today. Happy birthday to you, Richard Dean Anderson. You're saying, who's that? I know that name. MacGyver. He turns 73 years old today. So I found a, a couple of MacGyver facts, actually. I said, look, it, it, I always only knew him as MacGyver. 
remember? Well, MacGyver's name is Angus. He was Angus MacGyver. So uh, 10 points to you if you knew that his name was Angus MacGyver. And the other great MacGyver fact, I think this is great, there was a prop that played for the Springboks. His name is Dean Grayling. And Dean Grayling is still playing professional rugby in France. He changed his name legally to MacGyver Dean Grayling. He was a huge fan of the show when he was a boy and he actually refused to answer to the name Dean and would only answer to MacGyver. It's a bit like my, I had an uncle Super. We didn't even know his name was Richard until he died. We're like, is it Super's name? Because he was kind of the same thing. Uh, even though he's still legally named MacGyver Dean Grayling, he only answers to Dean now and he's still playing professionally in France. So there you are. There's some MacGyver facts. Uh, born on this day in 1983, the A-Team. Remember that? Hannibal, Murdoch, Faceman, B.A. Baracus, one of the great TV show themes ever. In real life history, in 1795, a war was won. Horses versus boats. So this was part of the Napoleonic War of the First Coalition in 1795. The, the fleet of the Dutch Republic got frozen in ice and they were three kilometres uh, offshore. And it was so frozen that the French cavalry managed to ride out on the ice and storm and capture ships. One of the few times and possibly the only time that horses have managed to overrun some ships. And insulin was first used on this day in 1922. It was given to Leonard Thompson who was a 14 year old diabetic boy. He lay dying in a Toronto General Hospital um, and he, he got uh, his insulin and it caused a, a severe allergic reaction. So what they did was they worked on it for the next 12 days. A biochemist by the name of James Collip worked to improve, improve and purify it and uh, then what happened was the section, uh, second injection brought the boy out of his coma and was a complete success. And those are some of our favourite happenings for the 23rd of January. Joining us now from our business team is a man who really, uh, I think last time we spoke he might have been zipping through Asia on a tuk-tuk. Um, it's Giles Beckford who's with us. Kia ora, Giles. Kia ora to you, Nathan. I'm thankful that I've survived the, the ministerial reshuffle. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the Chancellor, did you like that one? I love that one. Okay, that's good. Uh, be the only time in my life I get called it, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. All right, here we go. Give us uh, what, what's happening in the, in the, well, uh, the I news. Th- I think some of the last words I said uh, of 2022 uh, farewelling people was, I hope it's a prosperous new year. Unfortunately, the warning signs uh, are going the other way. I'm just thinking of some of the things that have come out in the past couple of weeks uh, since businesses started to get back into uh, uh, into operation. Retail spending has been down. Uh, job advertisements are slowing. Uh, business confidence, uh, rock bottom. Manufacturing activity has been contracting. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling to think of anything that's been particularly positive. Oh, there's, there's been a, a migration gain. So perhaps the brain drain uh, that people were fearing isn't going to eventuate. This week, we're going to get the latest read on inflation. It will take us to the end of last year. The expectations are that uh, it there could be a slight drop. We still should still be sitting somewhere around that 7% mark, but this might be the peak of it. Uh, we'll wait and see. The Reserve Bank uh, in November was suggesting that, in fact, it's got higher to go, around 7.5%, but we'll wait and see on that one. Next week, we'll get the first read on the jobs market to the end of last year. Uh, and people keep talking about the looming recession, 
It's going to be, uh, if it occurs, what they call a jobs-rich recession, which is essentially that although activity, economic activity may slow down quite markedly, a lot of people will still have their jobs. That unemployment won't rise that much. Mm. Uh, and so from that point of view, that should be taken as a plus. But uh, you know, in all other um, measures, we'll be saying that the economy is going backwards. I think personally that probably the economy has probably hit the wall already. And although we may see some positive numbers for the first three months of this year, I think it's going to be a struggle from here on in. The other negative sign that we've been seeing is uh, that dairy prices have been coming back still and that people are starting to cut their forecasts of what the dairy farmers are going to get Mm. paid for their milk at the farm gate. So all in all, um, the weather may be fine. The price of some fresh fruit is absolutely wonderful uh, if you leave aside the lemons, although I've got some rather manky-looking ones hanging off my tree at home, uh, and I'm willing to sell them for just $7 a kilo. <laughs> oh, business I'm... confidence in lemons. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've got to cover my overheads, but I'm not being greedy. Good on you. Uh, all right, so all in all, we might have a bit of a tough year, but you know, I just say keep your pecker puckered, make sensible decisions, save where you can, um, and just yeah. you know, don't get... Uh, don't talk yourself into a gloomy frame of mind. No, so don't listen to Giles. There we go. Thank you, Giles. <laughs> Cheers, uh, it's Giles Beckford. You can hear more from the business team on Morning Report at 10.27. Quickly, if you're trading your New Zealand dollar, you can buy 64.72 US cents, 92.84 Australian cents, 59.56 Euro cents, 52.19 British pence, 4.28 yuan, and 83.86 Japanese yen. It's 27.26. You are listening to First Up here on RNZ National. It's lovely to have you with us. Well, incoming Prime Minister Chris Hipkins and his new deputy PM Carmel Sepuloni are promising to rein in some government programmes that they call less essential. Now after the Labour Party voted unanimously on Friday for him to become party leader and Prime Minister, Mr Hipkins confirmed yesterday that Ms Sepuloni will be his new deputy Prime Minister. Ms Sepuloni is from is the MP for Kelston which is in West Auckland and is the first deputy Prime Minister of Pacifica descent. So we wanted to find out what people make of their new leaders of the country so reporter Leonard Powell put his crocs on hit the streets and went to find out he started by asking people if they'd be voting for Chris Hipkins come October yes I would be I've worked in education and I came across Chris Hipkins first when he was working in that side of things I've always found him to be quite reliable and to mean what he says and to try and do his best to do what he says yeah nothing against Chris Hipkins I sort of have to wait and see I think I'll be voting green but um, I think he's good. I will see when what promises are made at the time. Depends what he does between now and then. Do practical things, not the airy-fairy, big, fancy idea projects. Then um, he's got a chance, otherwise it's national. Do you have three things you'd like to see him do as Prime Minister? It just feels like we've got an awful lot of homeless people on the streets and and the problems in Rotorua, so that's an issue that I believe the government needs to address urgently. That's one issue. Um, I'd like to see him continue to do good work for education in New Zealand and I'd like to see him continue to work for us to honour the Tiriti Watangi and to carry on improving the lives of people you know who are struggling at the moment more action on housing also the cost of food for people just generally helping people that are struggling at the bottom i think 
just like in terms of housing. Housing just isn't very affordable <laughs> um, for our generation. Universal student allowance and capital gains tax. Jacinda promised that she wouldn't have the capital gains tax when she was Prime Minister, now she's not Prime Minister, he can pull out the capital gains tax. Mostly just doing a better job of KiwiBuild, that'd be handy. Maybe a better response strategy if there's more variants to COVID. <laughs> I don't think lockdowns are going to fly anymore. Make practical changes rather than report upon report and design and increase costs on huge projects. Just get back to the basics. And Carmel Cipollone is the Deputy Prime Minister. How much do you know about her? I don't know a lot about her, but it's good that they have someone from from a Pacifica background that's encouraging. There's just so many Pacifica people in Auckland now that they all feel that they'll have a say in a way that they haven't had up till now. She's a very experienced minister. Um, she'll do a good job. Nothing. Not at all, no, sorry. Very little, <laughs> if I'm being honest, yeah. Not a lot, but what I've seen I really like. She should be all right. Grant Robinson's still there, so give her a chance. That should be fine. Leonard Powell there getting the thoughts of Kiwis on the street. We thanks everyone, thank everyone too who uh, answered those. But uh, what about political insiders? Well, Sue Maroney is a former Labour MP and Chief Party Whip who used to chair the party's Women's Caucus. I asked if she thinks that Chris Hipkins is the right person to be Prime Minister. I think he is the right person for the job. He's exceptionally experienced and very skilled. It's really interesting to note that when people have been asked on the street about Chris Hipkins, they already know him. Hmm. He's got a very high profile and the, pro- the profile is positive in a way where people feel like they already know him and they trust him. So that's a big thing for a new leader and, of course, incredibly important when you're also choosing the next Prime Minister for the country. So it was a very big task that the caucus had because they were in the position of having to choose both their next leader but also the country's Prime Minister. So you do need someone who's got a track record with the experience and the skills that Chris brings to the role. What's your impressions of him having as someone to work with as a politician? Oh, look, he's exactly the person that you see in front of the camera, actually. He's incredibly dedicated to the job. He's very serious about it, but he also doesn't take himself too seriously. He can have a bit of a joke, normally at his own expense, Mm. and he's an affable type of person. So I think all of those values and all of those skills that he brings to the job come across every time he speaks, and, and that's what he's actually like to work with. You do know that when you're working with him, he has very high expectations of how others will work. He also is very clear about what his position on things and he's always ready to justify why he thinks what he thinks. And so, yeah, he's, uh, you know that when he makes a decision, that it's a well-thought-through decision and it's one that he will honour. I think a lot of the nation would have seen his you know, interview there Sunday afternoon, presents himself to the country, introduces his deputy leader with him. You know, it's a horrible thing to think here, but do you think he might have an easier ride than Jacinda Ardern with a lot of people simply by being a man? Because, if, you know, there was a lot of misogynist abuse directed at her. I think not only his gender, but also the fact that he has had a high level of exposure to the public does mean that he will have a different ride to Jacinda, who, when she came into the Labour leadership role, looked to be fair, she did have a very high public profile that she had worked on very hard at that time. But no one knew what she was like in a leadership role. No one had seen her perform at that sort of level before, whereas people have seen not Chris Hipkins' 
act in the role of Prime Minister, but they've certainly seen him at a senior cabinet level. Jacinda didn't have that to bring into the role with her. And so I think from that perspective alone, he, he does have a head start. But yes, on the gender basis, I think that sadly women still do suffer question marks over whether they are good enough for the top job in a way that, that men don't have to, you know, it's a hurdle that, that men don't have to overcome. Having said that, I've been on many visits around different parts of the country with Chris Hipkins and one of my recollections is, you know, taking him to some of the intermediate schools around Hamilton and kind of losing him in the crowd because he, you know, apart from the fact that he's got a wearing a tie, it was pretty hard to pick him <laughs> up from, from the rest of the audience. So, um, you know, he's, he's, he looks young and he's always going to look young. He's looked young since I've known him and, and I don't think he's really aged a day in terms of the way he looks. So I, I guess you know, that, that might be a hurdle, but I know that he's already overcome that because people have seen the skill level and the expertise that he brings to the role. It, it's an interesting point for him too, isn't it? Because he, he can't just go, you know, this is the post-Jacinda show. I mean, this is the Chris Hipkins show right now. This is me. I'm the Prime Minister, I'm in charge, here we go. I, I noticed on his Sunday address that he did you know, address a lot of the great achievements that Jacinda Ardern had done in, in the administration. What do you think he will do? Do you think he will want to be seen as continuing what she started? Do you think he'll try and veer quite differently away? Like, How do you think it will go? Well, I think that he will take a different pathway. He clearly indicated in his Sunday address that he wants a more focused approach hmm. from his cabinet. And of course, he, you know, he's got a cabinet reshuffle to do in roughly a week's time as well, as he's indicated that. I think it's clear that his view that he's expressing is that they are, at the moment that the government has got a lot of fingers and a lot of pies, trying to do too many things, perhaps too quickly, and people are quite confused about what it is that the government has done and wants to deliver on. So he was very clear that there's going to be a narrowing of that and a focus on, I think he called them the issues that matter most to New Zealanders. So he's already indicated that he's going to grab it by the neck and shake it up a bit. Mm. I, I know he indicated that the economy would be at the heart of, of his administration. So, and, and he also said he might scale back some of those programmes. I mean, look, I'm just guessing here, but is this along the lines, do you think it might be like maybe TVNZ, RNZ merger, perhaps even Three Waters? Those are the sorts of programmes that might scale back? Yeah, I imagine those are the programmes that they will be certainly having another look at. They, if, at the very least if they don't have another look at them, have to think very seriously about how they are being presented to the public. Hmm. You know, have, have they done enough work in describing and explaining and telling people the rationale and the reasons why they're going down that path? I think the other interesting space to watch will be that will be around the issue of a capital gains tax. That was something that Jacinda Ardern ruled out early in her prime ministership, said that would never happen while she was prime minister. Well, that'll change this week, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens on that front. That was Sue Moroni.
17 to 6 right now. I'm Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. So still to come, we're going to hear from Te Pāti Māori uh, co-leader, uh, Deborah, uh, Debbie Ngārewa-Packer, to see what she thinks about Chris Hipkins there. And also, um, Dave Worsley tells us about what's going on in the Aussie Open. Well, the first World Tennis Grand Slam tournament of the year is into its second week. Joining us from the Australian Open in Melbourne is Dave Worsley, who must be up at an ungodly hour to speak to us. But Dave, we, we thank you so much, my friend. Hey, um, fair bit of drama so far, also like the world uh, number one being bounced out of the women's uh, draw. Well, that's right. Yesterday, that uh, was the world number one, uh, Schweitek from Poland, uh, really the outright favourite in the women's draw, and she was bounced out by, uh, well, Ryder Kina, who is the Wimbledon champion, but the Wimbledon champion that everybody seems to have forgotten about because it was just a very strange uh, Wimbledon uh, last year with no ranking points for it. So you had a, a player who should have been seated higher, but wasn't because she didn't have the ranking points from last year. And I'll tell you what, she played extremely well. Schwartek, though, was just off her game a little bit, but uh, Ryder Kina, she was on a form, and that so yesterday's uh, big match. Uh, it's it, it's you know, Dave. There is the bit where you have a look, and for years when I've spoken to you, I've gone, "When are the others coming?" I'm sick of those three old guys winning all the time. <laughs> uh, but the men's side of the draw, there's there's some new names in there. That's right. There are a number of new names, although we cannot forget that uh, Novak Djokovic is, is still there, albeit on one leg. But yes, plenty of new names coming through, and uh, some that well. Um, they are very new that you've really got to figure out how to pronounce their names. And there's been a lot of, uh, you know, people just thinking, well, um, how do we say this person and who are they? We haven't really seen them and they're not expected to have made the quarterfinals uh, like uh, has happened. And uh, we've really seen like a, a new player like Yuri Lasheka. He just defeated uh, Felix Agur Alassini, the sixth seed yesterday. He's now through to the quarterfinals. I don't think that the player himself expected to be there. It's amazing. So um, tell, tell me about this. Djokovic is obviously the biggest name that a lot of people do know if they are if they are your tennis casuals and, you know, like people like to get to the second week and go, right, now I'm going to sit down here and watch these. His path through to the final, do you look at that and say hey, it's it's unimpeded or is, is he not a massive favourite for you? Well, he is a massive favourite, having won nine times. Hmm. He actually does have a relatively difficult draw compared to some of the other players. He still has the fifth seed, uh, Rublev, there. Hogler Rune is the ninth seed, Runa. And tonight he takes on uh, Dimenau, the Australian. Right, so that'll be one where uh, the crowd's on him again. Uh, he's, he's quite the polarising character, isn't he? He, he is indeed, particularly since he's had so many injury breaks so far this tournament and really does seem to be struggling with his uh, leg. However, he's still winning through to the fourth round. Yeah. Dave, just before we get out of here, tell me, uh, what's what's your favourite match that's coming up today? It doesn't have to be the biggest names, but just for people, because I know that we've got it on, on many channels here in New Zealand where we can watch, best best match coming up for you? There is one particular match. It's on almost an outside court, forgotten about, because these players have defeated seeds. And that's uh, it's like, hey, how dare you defeat the seeds? It's JJ Wolf against um, Shelton. And uh, Shelton himself, uh, Ben Shelton, his father, used to be a good player. 
Uh, the two of them are just the two Americans who are emerging. But Wolf appears to be the player who's almost come off the off the beach, off the you know bit of surfing here and there. He's just loving it. He's thinking, I've made it through to the fourth round. I've made one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and here I am taking on another American player. And uh, these two, I think, should have a lot of fun. Fantastic, Dave. Thank you so much for your time. I think everyone can get behind someone with the name JJ Wolf. Uh, well, um, heading back to uh, the politics side of things, I spoke with the co-leader of Te, Ma- of Te Pāti Māori, Debbie Ngārewa Packer, to discuss what Chris Hipkins' appointment as Prime Minister means for Māori. It was a really interesting chat, actually. I started by asking about a recent party tweet which called the attacks on outgoing Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and her whānau the most demeaning form of politics we've ever seen. Oh, look, I, I was referring to you know, what we were seeing, actually you know, physically seen even on, on the parliamentary grounds. There were protests, which is, you know, you know, that's what has to happen. That's all part and parcel of politics and democracy. But this one had her daughter, her partner's names, uh, faces in a noose. There was mm. particular gaslighting about the person, about her physical looks, about her being, woman, you know, being a woman, had been a female leader, and none of it was actually about policy. And, you know, because, again, like I say, you've got to be open. You've got to be you know, slightly thick-skinned, but you don't have to be inhuman. And I think there's been a dehumanising creep of unacceptable hatred and misogyny that's come out. And it'll be really interesting to see where it goes now that we've got, you know, two Chris's and two, yeah. you know, male Pākehā leaders to see whether that's going to go the same way. But I think, you know, what we saw was just a very... I'm trying to think of a word that would describe if you weren't physically there, but you know, almost like a pack of hyenas. It was just savagery. It was just nothing you could you could sort of do to bring any reason into it. So quite frightening. Yeah. What do you think now? The new leader, well, the new prime minister of New Zealand, will be Chris Hipkins. What's your party's relationship with him like? Oh, look, we work with Chris. Um, him and I are both on the business committee. We've had some really healthy debates with him about um, the COVID response, about certainly education and other portfolios that he's carried. And I heard a description of Chris. You know, he's a solid individual and he will stick to the party line and do you know what he has to do. Is he transformational? Likely not. And actually, I heard him say in his live stream today that he doesn't want to be cliche transformational so I, I'm a little bit disappointed to hear that I guess you know so he's, he's an easy guy to get on with but he's got a lot to learn you know to have your first live as the incoming prime minister and not be able to not be able to quote what the three articles of the Tiriti is is a concern so he is going to have to skill up really fast and prove that he's committed to advancing Māori and I think those are certainly some of the challenges we'll be putting to him. Are you disappointed that we aren't getting a Māori Prime Minister or Deputy? Of course we are. I mean we're an Indigenous you know um, (laughs) nation as well you know we are you know we have sadly we're still not doing well we still are despite a whole lot of others improving in child poverty we haven't as Māori we are still experiencing high homelessness, high rangatahi uh, mental health, we've still got health inequities, education, incarceration. That requires a targeted approach and someone quite innovative and experienced in what it takes to turn those deficit um, situations around. They require someone who's transformational because if we're not going to change, 
And I think I heard Chris sort of say that a lot has changed for them, but sadly it hasn't changed for Māori. Mm. So we we needed to see, you know, these inequalities drawn in and, and be able to have a, a nation where we can all achieve our, our true potential. So absolutely we're disappointed. You know, really pleased and, and will naturally congratulate Chris and Kamau, who, by the way, is very good in, in karaoke. But, you know, we, we have a long way to go as tangata whenua of this nation. We are the only tangata whenua of this nation, and we, and we need to be given a priority, and we need to be honouring Te Tiriti so that we can, can live a great harmonious life in Aotearoa. I imagine she picked Sade. Is she a Sade singer? Uh, I'm trying to think what she actually was quite. I was quite rocking, and um, and I was, you know, like I say, she's a, again a very warm person. She's got yeah. great naki, gets on with her own, great energy. I could imagine the two of them working well together, which is actually what Chris alluded to and why he chose uh, Carmel. But the reality is, it's great to see that duo. But we have a long way to go as Tangata Whenua, and we really needed. A commitment. This is the largest Māori caucus. We may never have this again. Um, so I, I do think they've missed a huge opportunity. And of course, we're disappointed because in 107 years, the you know, largest Māori caucus, the Labour Party, has never had a Māori leader. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, it's not to take down the credibility of those that are Prime Minister and Deputy, but it is to certainly highlight that, you know, when are we going to be good enough to be, you know, having these opportunities to lead our, our nation and have an Indigenous leader. So, and by that, I'm talking to Whenua Māori. What, you know, I, I was, when I was going through and I was trying to think who it could be, uh, Kitty Allen was one of the people who instantly jumped into my brain, right? I thought, yeah, yeah, handled yeah. that stuff I mean, well. But but then if you circle back to what we spoke about at the start of this interview and nastiness mm, and that, do you think that mm, those people would be ready for a gay Māori Deputy Prime Minister? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I mean, I could give a whole lot. And I think we've got to remember that, you know, Jacinda didn't come from, you know, great front row to be able to become Prime Minister. Hmm. We've got, to, you know, I, I, there's a whole lot of fabulous Māori that are available. And I think that could have, and I guess that's just not the way that the, you know, the lobbying and the way that you could see the way that Labour had to show unity. They had to the rest of the country see we've got this we've got this sorted and I think when you make quick decisions like that you've actually decided quite quickly that you're going to shut out any other opportunities and I think that's what what we've experienced because the sole focus is you know transactionally on living today and trying to get through to the elections we haven't got a um, aspirational uh, Labour government um, now we've got um, ones that are thinking for the next six to eight months only and so I think you know what we see there and the fear that I have and certainly we has, have as to party Māori is, is there the same level of commitment the question isn't really is a gay wahine Māori the time right the question should be how we stop those who don't find it they're the problem not the diversity and the strength of a multiple of Māori and everything, every other strength they bring to this up. And if we keep appointing based on the fact that I'm the safest, I'm the most solid, you know, I've, I won't be attacked, I haven't got any of the other diversities that might get us the negative attention, we'll never have a government that is relatable and can connect to the very people, the voters that we represent. So I think, you know, you know, Yes, certainly things heightened for the Prime Minister, and, but as she said, we should always call out, particularly our men, this misogynistic behaviour, but we shouldn't let that stop us. And when I saw those excuses that, oh, you know, 
imagine if we put a Māori forward now. That is not why we shouldn't do it, because we might get attacked. What should be happening is that we don't normalise the attacks and we call it out. Yeah. And it shouldn't be just us women doing it. That was Debbie Ngarewa-Packer. And uh, for those of you going, where's the balance? Uh, we will be getting the perspective of the National Party tomorrow after we speak to Deputy Leader Nicola Willis. And uh, that is First Up's first episode for the year this morning. We managed to remember what all the buttons did, so that's quite good. And um, thank you very much to whoever left the studio in not freezing uh, like it was uh, towards the end of last year. Uh, Nolene, thank you very much for your message. Good to be back with you too. Uh, another message in here, if Label's Honest, Kitty Allen would be Deputy. It's not uh, disappointing. Um, someone wants to know, how does it all fit in? Deputy PM, Deputy Leader, all fits. Who's there? Who's what? Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that one shakes out. And someone else here. RE classified documents. I think this was uh, about Joe Biden's search house. It's a bit of a media beat up. Classified is largely unimportant, especially in the passage of time, say five to ten years, mostly historic references. The next identification is top secret. Oh, it's like black belts, isn't it? So there we go. Uh, thank you very much for your thoughts on that. Thank you all of you who wrote in. Morning Report is next with Guyon and Corin. From all of us here at First Up, it's nice to be back with you. We'll be back in your ears. Uh, Paul Paul.